0: Welcome to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ, hosted by Personal Responsibility Recovery. Join the conversation, call or text now at 512 836 0590. Now, here's your host, Mark Myers. And welcome to the Recovery Hour, our.
1: Host, I guess Mark Myers. I kind of fumbled there a little bit. I'm looking at Doctor Kirby Stewart, who's also our host. Uh, I'm the host of the host. That's it. That's yeah. it. Uh, welcome to the Recovery Hour. And you know, we if you if you're just joining us uh, or half catching this the first time, um, we're with Personal Responsibility Recovery. We're a small 12 bed residential treatment center for substance use. And the show isn't all about us. Um, Obviously we think we're one of the more premier alcohol and drug abuse or substance use treatment centers, but what we try to do on the recovery hour is talk about some resources. We want to first and foremost destigmatize addiction. We want to talk about substance use disorders for what it is. It's a mental illness, it's a disease, it's a, a disorder, whatever you want to call it. It's not a it's not a moral failing. It's not a series of bad decisions. This is a chronic, progressive disease, and it needs to be destigmatized. And we always start to show out by we want we want to point a couple of things out. Uh, according to the CDC, 123,000 people died in 2022 uh, last year. And that's from accidental overdose. Uh, in fact, they now call it fentanyl poisoning instead of overdose. And if you add in I, I, as Dr. Stewart says that, that's the tip of the iceberg I mean yeah it, in it,
2: terms of morbidity and mortality associated with addiction the overdose numbers are just the tip of the iceberg
1: they, they really are and what people I don't think get as horrible as, as events are addiction is the leading cause of death between the 18 to 49 year old range now and it it's like having 9/11 happen every seven days in our country that's the amount of people that we lose to substance use and yet we don't talk about it we we hear bits and pieces about it we we see little line items in in government budgets and things that they the the war on drugs all of these things but the reality is it's based in guilt it's based in shame and it's probably the only disease or mental illness that i know of that that has such a stigma to it and that causes people to not ask for help. It causes people to not seek help, and it the isolation perpetuates. I guess the addiction. The addiction it does. Is, is, yeah. And, it does. and I mean, one of the most common traits
2: among people who develop addiction is a tendency to isolate. But then, once they're engaged in compulsive activities, especially if those activities are associated with shame, the isolation. Uh, is aggravated a thousandfold. So it's a disease of isolation that causes even more isolation.
1: And And it's just a it's it's a snowball that that until we educate until we talk about, and we always say we want to use this show this hour. It's a call-in show. Uh, please join us. If you have any questions about addiction, any questions about resources, five one two eight three six zero five ninety. Um, that reaches us. And we always bring in a guest, and our our guest today is uh, someone who who has been through it, to say the least, Um, Holly Floyd. And Holly is the parent of an addict who fortunately has found recovery. And Holly, tell us about the foundation that you have started as a result of that, and I, I maybe back up a little bit and tell us, tell us as a parent, and I know this is hard. How how do you how do you face that initially, and what did you find? I, I I know I'm throwing a lot out at you right now, but I would think fair to say maybe some mistakes were made, and and it's a long journey. Is that accurate?
3: Very accurate. It's a very um, very difficult journey. Uh, our youngest of of six children uh, suffered with addiction and um, is six years sober. And it was uh, it was it was very difficult. Instead of doing everything right, I would say I did a lot of wrong. instead of seeking um, professional help, seeking resources, I isolated. I didn't understand. I'd never been exposed to addiction or alcoholism prior to my son's addiction. And didn't know how to walk that journey. Um, so we, my husband and I, isolated from family and friends because we felt shame and guilt. Because we didn't understand. And we, ju- we wanted to help him and, and tried our best. But it's just a very difficult um, journey if you don't have the knowledge base. And my advice is, as when you have a loved one going through addiction, is to seek resources. Seek professional help look for um, rehabs. Once we understood that he was just not a young man making poor choices and that he was a, a, had an addiction, then we started researching different rehabs and visiting those rehabs so that we had some knowledge base. And through those resources, we were then able to learn more about the disease. And um, as a result, we want to help other families walk through this journey a, a little bit easier than we did um, our goal, what we what we started is an endless, it's a nonprofit endless recovery foundation. We started in December of 2019 and just through family and friends and word of mouth, we've been able to raise enough resources to help 25 people in that three year period get into rehab and, and aftercare. Um, we have more people than we can help at this time reaching out to us. so now we are, Going to go full fledged into um, fundraising to help, and our first fundraiser is going to be in April. But that's it's to help others, and I'm an educator by trade, and I, one of my goals is to have a education piece, a simplified education piece, to help families really understand that this is a disease, an allergy, and um, how the addict feels. And um, um, our first family weekend, I would recommend if you're when your loved one goes to rehab and they have family weekend. Uh, my son was involved in a family sculpting, and it really showed us how he felt. And I never had thought about how he felt. He was just as much full of shame and guilt, and and that was difficult to see. Mm.
1: It is difficult, and I I can't think of. Anything more difficult? My oh boy, my voice cracks. I have been in recovery for thirty—I don't know—more than more than thirty-eight years. I have a thirty-year-old daughter. The cycle was broken with me, in that that thirty-year-old daughter has never seen me use, and I didn't hand that down to where I had to go through facing addiction with a child. I've not had to do that. And I can't really adequately put into words how grateful I am that I haven't. But I do work with, and and of course Dr. Stewart works with, the whole family has to be involved. It's not just an addict that we can wave a magic wand and say, poof, you're done. It's a lifelong journey It is once that becomes. And, And it does start as we try to talk about with, the, with destigmatizing, to be able to call someone, to be able to research, and, and we, we make the comment pretty often, if you wait until the moment of crisis, you're getting the person with the biggest Google ad and the biggest advertising budget and not really knowing what that looks like. So the research and the resources, those things are all so incredibly important. We're um, up against a little bit of a break here. And uh, again, if you want to join us, 512 836 0590. We'll be right back.
0: Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Sunday at noon. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers.
1: And welcome back to the Recovery Hour. Uh, Mark Myers with PR Recovery. And uh, of course, our host, Dr. Kirby Stewart, and our very special guest, Holly Floyd, joining us. Uh, kind of some some experience. Uh, some experience with directly as a parent. How do you how do you get someone into admit? How do you get them to the point that they're ready? Or do you do you just have to take the reins sometime? And uh, interestingly enough, the gentleman we're talking about, Patrick has just called in. So, uh, if you're ready for it, I'm going to, I'm going to put your son on with us. Um, Hey Patrick, thank you for calling the recovery hour. Um, kind of weird hearing your mother on the radio, I guess.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. I figured I'd, uh, over the phone put a hand on her shoulder and let her know she's doing great.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're, we're talking about the whole experience of the dynamic between an addict and an addict's family and how you, you know, it has to kind of come as a package deal, I think. The addict has to come to a point of acceptance. I mean, you've, you've worked a, a tremendous journey, and uh, that journey has to start somewhere. And I'm assuming. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm Absolutely. assuming your mom had a little bit to do with that start of that journey.
4: Most definitely, and I think it's—I I obviously can't speak from experience—but it's got to be a, a tough spot to navigate because, from my experience, it's there's a window of clarity that happened only every once in a while, and if something, you know, if something didn't catch in that in that small window, then it then my mind was off to telling me I had another solution that maybe I was gonna figure it out on my own, which that was that was never the case. So
1: that's been my experience and I I think Dr. Kirby you mentioned that that moment of lucidity or that moment of clarity from time to time that it's a very brief window and you have to have that plan in place. You you have to when an addict raises their hand and says, I need help, that doesn't happen often.
3: Go for it when they say they need help. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's time to move. Yes,
3: it's time to move. Um so he went to rehabs when he didn't want to go to rehab and uh the last time he went to rehab, he he requested it and he was ready at that time.
1: And I'm betting that's the one that was the last one that you went to.
4: Yes, it was. It was at the end of 2016.
1: Well, congratulations on uh congratulations on your journey and on your uh, on your sobriety, on your Now, Patrick, if I may ask a personal question, is the 12-step community or recovery community part of your life 6 years later?
4: Uh yes, very very much so.
1: And I think that's very. probably people who have obtained 5 and 6 and multiple years that's an answer that that typically is uh typically expressed is that uh the 12 step communities are a really important part once you get to where you can embrace that um working the steps working the admission of being an addict
4: yeah i i, I agree i i think for me the uh, a seed was planted the first couple of couple of times that i was um kind of in in a treatment setting and then like spoken about earlier I reached a kind of a moment where I requested to to get some help and um, you know like six six and a half almost seven years later now um that is still very much a part of my life something that I um commit multiple hours of my week to and uh, you know the the where I found a solution to, uh, you know, to my problems.
1: And I understand that congratulations are in order with a, a wife and a and a new baby. And you know, it's just amazing how life goes and uh, turns around, and and we live our best life. And
3: he's an amazing young man.
1: Well, I I can tell from watching your expression over here. I wish I had that where people <laughs> could see it. But Patrick, thank you so much for calling in. We're going to continue so visiting with your mom. And, Patrick,
2: uh, uh, before you go, oh. I want to ask you a question. Uh, while well, your mom is going to have a chance to follow up on whatever you have to say, uh, but while we've got you, I w- I'm interested in hearing from you what did you find most helpful? In terms of support or guidance or direction from your family, and what was not helpful. and uh, you know, for people in our listening audience, there somebody out there is in the same situation right now that you were once in. I'm sure of that. Mm-hmm. and uh, we we might be saving that person's life. I mean, so basically what worked for you, I know you did reach a a moment of lucidity where you decided what you wanted to do and, and, and took action. But, but before and during that period of time, what was most helpful, uh, in, in terms of support from your family?
4: You know, I, I think it's a, a combination of many things. Obviously there's, you know, there's the, the support and, their desire and efforts and keeping me uh trouble and trying to help, you know, help me get back on my feet for years at a time. And, you know, although, although at times that can be looked at as enabling, I think to to know that regardless of where I found myself, that I still had them in my corner and that they were, loving me through all of my bad decisions, um, was, was, was something that I felt good about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and when the time was right, help them helping me get to where I needed to be in order for, um, other men and women with experience of this disease were able to help coach me and help me find a a solution. But um, I think mo- most importantly, just the the lack of judgment, and the lack of them uh, giving up, and uh, I think that that was probably most important for me. So, thank you,
1: thank you, Patrick. We appreciate it. We're going to visit with your mom a little bit and uh, continue uh, continue on that journey, man. We appreciate the call, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, son. Absolutely, thank you. Love you, mama. Love you. Well that's not something we have every day on the recovery hours the uh the, the but you know it it does speak to how difficult that journey is. If I may back up just a little bit. We've got about three or four minutes here before the break. How long did this journey last?
3: Six to seven years.
1: So that was <laughs> probably a pretty difficult six to seven years with other children as well. Yes. And so from teenage years,
3: he started in his teenage years, yes. Um, he started i'm I'm going to say young, up 15, sixteen, and went for six or seven years. The other children are older, but they I had some living back at home, so it, it was a very difficult journey and, and for them to understand the disease. Um, and we had somebody come to the house and explain, you know, talk to us from from different rehabs and talk to the family. But it's just until I actually saw family sculpting at family weekend at rehab, that was when I understood what he was feeling Hmm. and started having a knowledge. But um, as Patrick said, some people would call it enabling, and and I I was an enabler. One of his counselors had me go through the 12 steps and get a, a sponsor to help me this because it's difficult as a parent you go into survival mode you want them to live
1: absolutely and and his drug of choice I understand um, was one of the more dangerous ones yes and that uh, that's what terrifies me and and one of the messages that we always want to throw out there you know it, it today there's a saying one pill kills and it's it's you know, we lost another uh, high school student last week um, to an opioid overdose or fentanyl poisoning. It wasn't even an overdose. It was one pill, and uh, it, it was the ultimate price on that. So, you know, the, the, it's very different than the 40 years ago when I, I was involved in this um, and it, it, it's kind of a, a scary place because we can talk till we're blue in the face about the war on drugs and don't do this. We're never going to win this, the supply side of the war on drugs. Kirby, you've mentioned that several times that we have to win the demand side. Yeah. And we do that through education. We do that through destigmatizing the addiction. We do that through education, education programs for families, education programs for addicts.
2: Well, and like Patrick said, uh, in the end, it was non-judgmental support, that the support could be unconditionally present Mm -hmm. without judgmentalism. That that combination of attributes in in uh, caregivers and family members is what works
1: absolutely and,
2: and the support comes sometimes it it leads us into some enabling behaviors but we're never perfect with regards to enabling we're always kind of sort of enabling and kind of, sort of, trying not to. It's a dance, and uh, yeah, so I want to ask you when we get back from the break a little bit more about what you considered enabling on your part and how you balanced that unconditional support that Patrick referred to.
1: And we will be back in just a couple of minutes after that break. We uh, have to stop here for uh, the news, and we'll be back in just a few minutes.
0: Like what you hear? Make sure you never miss a show every Sunday at noon. Go to personalresponsibilityrecovery.com to learn more. Now, back to the Recovery Hour on News Radio KLBJ with Mark Myers.
1: And I am Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery. And, you know, if you're just joining us, we uh, we do the Recovery Hour every Monday from 6 to 7 to talk about substance use disorder uh, PR recovery or personal responsibility recovery is a is a great resource uh, we're not the treatment center for everybody but we are the resource that anybody can contact us for resources for help uh, we have a, a pretty good amount of knowledge uh, one of our one of our guys always says have a plan because if you are dealing with addiction if you're dealing with the addiction of a loved one or uh, child, have a plan, because there's going to be that moment of lucidity that we were just talking about. There's going to be that moment of clarity where someone says, I need help, and that's not the time to start looking. Um, the time to start looking is when there's the, the recognize that, yeah, we've got a problem coming up, and you know the acknowledgement that, that addiction is uh, it's not a series of bad choices, it's not a series of moral failings, it is a progressive disease, progressive disorder, mental illness, that's going to get worse. And plan on that getting worse and have a plan on where to go, what to do, who to call. We can help a great deal with that. And uh, Dr. Stewart, you were you were commenting on uh, the support and enabling, support versus enabling. And I think, Holly, we were... Again, we need to record the break. Some of our best stuff happens during that three-minute <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but, yeah. but to to maybe speak a little bit on that because there's a rule of thumb that enabling is is so bad and and just just cut the addict off, throw them to the wolves. And I don't necessarily always agree with that. There's there's levels of what you can and cannot do to a loved one.
2: Yeah the the. I guess the formal definition of enabling, if you will, is any behavior on your part that enables a continuance of addictive behavior on their part. So that's pretty, pretty tough line Mm -hmm. that it's really, really hard to support a loved one without enabling if their addiction is continuing ongoingly. Uh, so I I think that it's a it's a fluid boundary uh, that you apparently walked pretty well, Holly. I, I I'd love to hear your comments on the matter.
3: My form of enabling. Um, we were advised. You get a lot of advice from different people. Um, part of which was cut him off, as you said, and right. uh, cut the cut the addict off. Um, don't from everything. You know from Finances, of course, but food, shelter, and I couldn't do that. Um, Patrick knew he was always welcome to come home. He could always come home and have a meal. He could always come home and live. I was in a survival mode that wanted him alive, and he knew that we were more than willing to send him to rehab when he was ready. Um, I do understand they have they have to be ready, not always, and, you know, we're wanting them to go. But when they're ready and, and to to hear that, but um, his addiction kept me on my knees. I'm 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 a prayer warrior, and that's what I believe kept him alive and is who he is today as a result of it. But that was my form of enabling. I didn't. I, so offering I have him unconditional love and offering him shelter and food. <laughs> I was not willing to to go that to that drastic. you, you wouldn't links. go so
2: far as to cut him off from his own home or to let him starve no. yeah so that, <laughs> that that's a great example of unconditional love if you ask me <laughs>
1: and and to me that's not enabling that's just my personal opinion i'm i'm never i'm not going to give someone food i'm not going to give them i mean sorry not food i'm not going to give them finances i'm not going to give them a car i'm not going to give them the ability to go get drugs or the ability to go get alcohol, or the ability to vote, but to eat, to have basic shelter, to know that someone has their back, and that I'm not mad at you for having a chronic disorder, yeah, for having a progressive illness, I'm not mad at you. And I, I, you and I, Dr. Kirby or Dr. Stewart. I know you as Dr. Kirby, Dr. Stewart, <laughs> Dr. Kirby Stewart. There you go. There we go. I have folks that are in our center sometime Yeah. that I want to be mad at because of behavior and because of things, and, and care fatigue, I think it's called. But then I have to reground myself and think, this is a person who's suffering from a disease. This is a person who has a disorder. Yeah. And And unfortunately, that disorder... Leads them to do some pretty messed up behaviors, but yeah. we have to support that. Well, we
2: yeah, we, I think you you said it a moment ago. You 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 need to find a way to support the individual to support them in their humanity with compassion and understanding and non-judgmentalism, without supporting their behavior. And I think you drew the line nicely. I mean, I will always buy a meal for someone, but I won't give them money to buy booze with. Another good example came up in in a friend of mine's life the other day. He would bail his son out of jail, but he won't get in between (laughs) his son and the legal consequences that he has to follow up on, like okay. the probation, for example, and he's not gonna hire an attorney for him either. But he did bail him out of jail, so that was his midway, that was his fluidity, if you will. Uh, First time, maybe.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, it, the, it, there's, I think it's a mistake to think that there's a hard and fast rule that one can apply in every situation. What we know about addiction is that people who develop addiction functionally speaking the brains are different from people who use substances of abuse but do not develop an addiction. The brains are fundamentally different with regards to learning and reward and motivation and the stress response system. Those four primary fundamental functions of the brain are different in people who use and develop an addiction compared to the brains of people who use and don't. That we know. That's why I say it's it's a brain disorder. And it's a disorder of choice. What ends up happening is one's judgment deteriorates over time and with that deterioration one loses the power of choice. So by the time somebody's in full-blown addiction, they've lost the power of choice. They're not making that They're choice. not out there making bad decisions. They're out there fighting for the next few moments of their life because their stress response system is telling them that unless they use, they're going to die. Now, and That's a misperception, but it's an illusion that they live inside of. And so the best thing that we can do is to reach out with compassion and offer help.
1: I totally agree, Doctor Kirby Stewart.
2: I I I was saying all that while being inspired by the look
1: on Holly's face. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it it is such a it is such a conundrum for a parent. I mean, it it I I I know this with friends. I I have oh, it sponsees. It, you know, it, it, I'm
2: going to jump in. It does not come from bad parenting. Oh gosh, no. You know. <laughs> it's hard
3: for I, parents to I, understand that unless you understand the disease, and that's why my advice is: make sure you learn. If you have a loved one suffering from addiction, is learn about the disease. Learn
2: about it, absolutely. Exactly, absolutely. so that you
3: understand what that person is dealing with.
2: Yeah, we can turn any primate into an addict in about two weeks. It doesn't matter what kind of parents they had. I'm sorry, just it doesn't, doesn't doesn't matter what kind of educational background. No, it it uh, it, it's it's not a matter of uh, shame and uh, kind of uh, the the word I'm looking for is sin, and I hesitate to say it, but it's not a sin, not on anyone's part.
1: It's truly not. I agree. We're going to be coming up on a on a break here again. God, this show goes so fast. I've, I've, i I've talked to talk to Whitney one of these days about a two hour show. But um, when okay. we come back, uh, I want to visit a little bit uh, about the foundation because that is uh, we hear so much about funding for this and funding for that, and you know, so many times those funding, especially at a government or state level, those fundings are millions of dollars. So people can go in and talk about addiction, and a lot of times it's people who aren't addicts, and they're trying to determine different things, and it, it, it doesn't directly go to an addict seeking recovery. And those are the types of things that the foundation is doing, and the types of things that we need so many more uh, resources like that out there. And kind of the inspiration of what we did and and there, but we'll be back in just a minute uh, and and kind of explore that.
0: Providing professional opinions, resources, and guidance for addiction treatment every Sunday from noon to one. The Recovery Hour with Mark Myers.
1: And we are back only it's every Monday from six to seven. Uh, I think they might still run our show on noon to one as well, but um, I'm, I'm kind of laughing about that with Dr. Stewart. So with our, our host, of course, Dr. Stewart, myself, Mark Myers with Personal Responsibility Recovery. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're into our last segment here, but uh, 512-836-0590. For if you want to join the conversation, uh, of course, our special guest, Holly Floyd, um, with the foundation that she has set up. And, you know, it. it's it's heartwarming to have someone on the other side of this who was able to help a child reclaim their life, who is now a grandparent because of that, who has a happily married child who, who went to battle in addiction and emerged victorious. And that's not something that, I mean, I, I say that in, in all sincerity. It's uh well, she did say she was a warrior. <laughs> Absolutely. You you have to be in this. Yeah. You just have yeah. to be.
2: But, you know, we're all the time talking about how one of the purposes of this program is to give people information uh, and to recommend that they contact us, Personal Responsibility Recovery, for information uh, by going to our website or giving us a call. But but tonight we have a, a, a an especially rich opportunity because Holly is a great source of experience and information. So when we say have a plan, what we mean is to inform yourself about your options before you have to pull the trigger on any of those options. And I I want to ask Holly, uh, uh, how, how did you get inspired to do this, and, and what kinds of information do you make available to people, and what, basically, what are you up to with this?
3: So as a result of, of going into this addiction and the journey with my son blindly, um, I now want to help others not have to go through the journey as, alone. And so Patrick and I started Endless Recovery Foundation, and go to our website, EndlessRecoveryFoundation.org, and we decided we wanted to help others find quality rehab. And so just through family and friends initially, over the last three years, we've asked for funds, and those funds go directly to clients who called, and they find us on social media or Patrick, is as he mentioned earlier, is active in the sobriety community, and people know him and they'll call. We've had people call us from Alabama that we have flown in um, who wanted to go to rehab in Texas. We've sent clients to California. We've helped, you know, so we, we go, we look for for rehabs for the right for the clients. But we need funding. Help us save lives. We would, you know, love to go to our, go to our foundation. Help us save lives by donating. We need the funds to help people. And we call us. I, I talk to parents all the time. My number's on the foundation, so is Patrick's. And we have parents calling us asking for guidance. What and, do we do?
1: We've yeah. got a caller right now that wants to know some resources. And uh, Chuck, thanks for calling the Recovery Hour. And uh, I'm Mark. You're on with Dr. Kirby Stewart and our guest Holly Floyd. How can we help?
5: I think and uh, thank you guys for taking the call. Um, I, I I just noticed I was up against the wall on on the end of your segment, so I wanted to. Yeah, I've been meaning to call for a couple weeks now. Um, my wife and I have three children. Our oldest son is seven.
1: Well, I'm sorry. Are you there?
5: You uh, know, they probably shouldn't be calling in while I'm driving, but it just—I really wanted to get the ball rolling. We're we're okay. kind of at wit's end uh chuck you, you hang, hang
1: on just a second you you <laughs> blanked out on me just a second you, oh, you so I'm you sorry. said your oldest son is how old
5: he's 17 gotcha okay and uh for a couple of years now he's uh I, I think they're cake pens uh a thc a device i guess delta
1: 88
5: uh, yeah and um it's it's um, there's been some additional issues beyond that. Um, you know, you know, a couple of run-ins with the law here and there. Um, and as I said, my wife and I were just kind of, you know, we're just we we had him in some counseling. Um, there was an outpatient that he was doing. Uh, I think it was through Williamson County and Round Rock, and that was uh, once or twice a week in the evenings, like on a Wednesday night, or I want to say. It may have been two nights a week, but um, he, he's just in that that state of mind where um, just annoying. There's anything going on or a problem, even when you know you catch him right there with you find it on him. Um, you know, actually have the the device on him. Mm-hmm.
1: That's uh, that's pretty common behavior, and uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna first before we get too much. I, I want Holly to address that for just a moment, but. I'm gonna also personal responsibility com. okay this is a long conversation um, yeah and if you will just go to our contact page, plug okay. in that same thing. I want to know resources for my son and okay. one of my staff or myself or Dr. Stewart or we'll get you Holly's number um, and and see we don't do adolescence, but I do know some great adolescent programs out there. Um yeah, uh, Holly what what yeah. where where do you go on that?
3: Well, I and and again, we have resources as well just from all the research that we have done and our foundation is endlessrecoveryfoundation.org again my phone my phone number is there and so is my son's um, reach out to both both of us um, for resources to help and and it, this is a much longer conversation but you're doing the right thing by seeking help and it is a good time to do that.
2: And he yeah, may not need residential treatment. We're not necessarily insisting on that approach. Uh, but it it's a great idea to associate yourself with other people who have children who are negotiating the
1: same uh, minefield. You know, one of the great resources—well, drugfreeaustin.com is another. That's Dr. Matt Masters, and he does a lot of— iop and treatment he's a an addictionologist and just an amazing gentleman
2: austin.com yeah Mm -hmm. drugfreeaustin.com
1: personalresponsibilityrecovery.com reach out to one of those and we will get you hooked up with some resources
5: definitely i certainly will thank you so much y'all have a great night you
1: too thank Mm -hmm. you so much and you know we're coming down to uh the last couple of minutes of the show here uh, as always, we, we Holly, thank you so much for coming on here. I know we don't get to talk a, a lot about that journey. I think suffice it to say it was a uh, difficult six years. Yes,
3: and thank you for having me. It was very difficult, but it's a blessing. We've been through it, and we're hoping that we can help others.
1: Well, and we get on the other side of it, and it's endlessrecoveryfoundation.org. <laughs> dot dot I'm mm-hmm. sorry, dot .org, correct. And, you know, that's uh, that's the type of thing that's just – if you want to do something to help addiction, if you want to do something to really make a difference, that endlessrecoveryfoundation.org. That's where that's where the the rubber meets the road, so to speak. That goes into direct treatment of addicts that uh, may not be able to afford treatment. Um, there's some state-funded programs out there. There's uh, you know. Uh, Blue Bonnet. There's the MHMR programs. A lot of those have weights. And, you know, it's it's just when that moment of clarity happens, we want to be ready to jump. We want to be able to take an addict um, and get them help right then. Because if, if they're an addict like I was, you know, 20 minutes later, boy, I got another plan. I don't need help. <laughs> so that, uh, yeah. And, you know, Dr. Kirby, uh Dr. Kirby Stewart and myself at Personal Responsibility Recovery, we're always gonna gonna be able to refer resources to folks.
2: Oh yeah. You know, I'm big advocate for what Holly's doing. Um and I I'm pretty naive. I didn't realize such a thing was underway and I'm I'm thank you. I'm, I'm exactly. well, thank you and, um I'm very grateful and I, I and I recognize full well that, you know, you're you're not likely to accept money from treatment centers. That would compromise your, your mission, I think. And so I, I understand that you're vulnerable in the sense of who you can get money from. And and so I want to make an appeal on your behalf <laughs> out to the public. Please, please uh, support her in her effort. Uh,
1: we have a lot of different campaigns and i know a lot of people you know cancer and diabetes and heart disease and all of those things and you know what we have to realize is that substance use disorder is the number one cause of death between 18 and 45 year olds that's more than heart disease it's more than cancer it's more than diabetes it's it's a scary 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 number in that age range Mm -hmm. and it uh as a as a community as treatment centers as a business model you know i say it every week we have to do better we have to destigmatize there is no shame or guilt in this we have to talk about it we have to be ready when an addict is ready for treatment we have to be ready to do something we are out of time and we will be back next monday